prepared to hear the truth from a real whistleblower and American patriot. Here's civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and indefinitely suspended FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show for Wednesday, April the 19th. Got a handful of things that I want to talk to you about. I want to get deep into Operation Fox Hunt. I want to talk about what in the heck is going on on American soil. I want to touch on our wayward airman who was leaking Pentagon secrets. But first, I want to start off with a discussion about what in the world is our attorney general doing talking to a Ukrainian prosecutor, and why is he not focused on what's going on here in America? It seems like there's plenty of things going on in this country, and yet we're throwing funding and we're throwing resources, and more importantly, I think we are distracting an awful lot of attention on uh, what happens in Ukraine. We're going to talk about what's going on there. I'm also, just I like hearing this guy talk. It makes me just feel a little bit more comfortable knowing that these are the kind of people that are uh, coming after conservatives. He is easily one of the least impressive types uh, that I can imagine. So let's let's cut over to a DOJ conference that went on. I want to play it and I want to give you some uh, some feedback on it. This happened just uh, the other day. We're going to switch over to a browser real quickly. And here we go. So this is a, a feed that you can actually go see if you ever want to. If you ever want to see a press conference live, you can actually just go to justice.gov and uh, check this out. So we're going to watch a couple of minutes of this. There's only a few minutes at a time that I can handle when it comes to listening to the Attorney General of the United States, Merrick Garland. And then we'll see who the real Attorney General is, because she's on here too. Uh, let's go ahead and fire up this video. You can listen to this very impressive individual. This comes from April 17th. It was a, a midday new, uh, news conference given at the DOJ in Washington. Well, hello, everyone. It's my great pleasure to welcome Ukrainian Prosecutor General Andrei Kostin back to the Justice Department today. Andrei and I last saw each other during my trip to Ukraine in March. There, alongside President Zelensky and our international partners, we discussed our joint work to hold the Russian regime accountable for its atrocities against the Ukrainian people. Today, we met to continue our conversation about the future of justice for Ukraine. We discussed our partnership and all the ways that we are working to strengthen it, and we reaffirmed our shared commitment to protecting democracy and the rule of law. It's really interesting to me that there is a commitment by the United States Justice Department to democracy and the rule of law in a country, in theory, under um, attack by a very aggressive former superpower in this world. Just. That should bother people, not just the effeminate voice of the attorney general, which always sounds like he's a man about to cry. And it really does sound like that. It's one of the few things that comforts me. If I thought he was actually running the DOJ, then it would be fine. But since I'm fairly confident he is not, then um, we just get left with this sort of nonsense. Anyway, I, I'm going to let him kind of touch on what the substance is. We're going to skip ahead and we're going to listen to what Lisa Monaco has to say, because I'm pretty confident that's who's actually in charge. I've had a couple conversations with folks who used to work at DOJ, particularly at higher levels. And uh, one, they don't much care for her. And two, it's fairly obvious that she's the one who's calling a lot of the shots. For over a year, Russia has engaged in an unjust war against Ukraine, committing atrocities at the largest scale of any armed conflict since the Second World War. 
And for over a year, the people of Ukraine have fought with courage and conviction to protect their country. They have worked with unflagging resolve to record the brutalities committed against thousands of Ukrainian men, women, and children, and to hold the perpetrators of those atrocities accountable under the law. They have risked and sacrificed their lives in the defense of their country. So it's always interesting when someone uh, actually is just reading one of these statements and you know that they probably have no idea what it is they're saying or that they have any kind of a belief that the thing they're saying has any value. It's just kind of, it's kind of troubling. I'm going to skip ahead when he hands off to Lisa Monaco because it happens right about the five minute mark. This is a 15 minute press conference of which 10 minutes are spoken by not the attorney general. I just think that's worth noting. Um, let's, let's give him the, the wrap. So he hands it over here to the boss. Thank you very much, Mr. Attorney General. It is just so good to have the Prosecutor General here with us at the Justice Department, particularly because this week he and I both will be appearing separately before committees of Congress to speak about Ukraine, to speak about our collective response to Russian atrocities committed over the last year. And as the Attorney General noted, our resolve at the Justice Department has never been stronger in this work. We are dedicating more resources to ensuring accountability and to combating those that facilitate the Russian war machine. All right, that's all we can handle of that for now. So uh, one, you can see she reads much more confidently. She doesn't have notes. And two, we're going to be using American DOJ forces and, uh, and resources to run down those in the Russian government that have provided financial support to the Russian war effort, which would be probably what they're supposed to do because they're Russians. And uh, I have no idea why the FBI thinks that, or the DOJ in general thinks that they're part of this uh, this fight. But this is part of the sham. This is part of the uh, the masquerade that's going on regarding this this conflict. And I've had people come to me very recently, and we may bring them on the show. I want to give them a bigger voice than I have. Uh, sooner than later, but I've had people come to me that have spent a, a lot of time in Ukraine and what's going on over there is not what we're hearing about in this country. I think uh, Tracy Beans recently alluded to it on Twitter that uh, it's looking a lot like the the men that are walking around in the streets in various cities, very young men, you know, as young as 17, 18 years old kind of thing, uh, maybe even below the enlistment age in the United States are getting grabbed by those driving yellow buses and they are being moved up into a training facility. I talked to people who are involved in the training, and then they are sent to the front where they have a very, very minimal life expectancy because they have no skills. There's a couple of these things that are popping up on Twitter videos. They're coming across social media and other places where people are actually filming from the front, and they're essentially just saying, look, we, you know, these people are not gonna survive. This is a man who has a, you know, a sick wife and two children back at home. The guy looks terrified. Um, you know." we're just being fed all kinds of strange information that doesn't seem to be very accurate. It's troubling. And I just want everyone to be very skeptical. Let's just call it that skepticism should be the name of the game when it comes to Ukraine. We're going to bring that up at the end of this when we talk about the, uh, the strange story of a young, of a young airman 
in the uh, National Guard. We'll, we'll kind of touch on what I think is going on there, what's possibly going on there, particularly with uh, some stuff that was just recently released within the last 24 hours, some reporting coming out of a different country, like uh, out of the UK. But I want to dig into Fox Hunt. I think Fox Hunt is something that is being distracted from. There was news about it once again today, and many people are not familiar with this concept. So this is something we're going to do. This is a, a deeper dive, which I like to get into. So you're walking around armed with this information. You will hear regularly in news media, you'll hear these strange kind of talking points where people will say, there are Chinese police departments on American soil. But but what does that really mean? Like, are there Chinese police officers that report to the CCP that are doing basic policing? Is that what's going on? Is that what it sounds like is going on? Because this is such a misnomer to call it a Chinese police department. Um, it is not that. These are intelligence outposts. These are part of a, a program that has been going on at least since 2014 that we're aware of and has different names, but is usually known by either Operation Fox Hunt or apparently within the, uh, the CCP right now, they're calling it Operation Skynet, which is uh, borderline terrifying if you are a Terminator fan like I am. I want to bring up just the Wikipedia article. This stuff is op available open source. This is not special knowledge, although I do bring a little bit of experience from it. Um, and I have worked on some of some of the individuals who have been targeted by this type of operation. But let's just refer to Wikipedia. This is obviously no right-leaning source and used to be that the left was no friend of the Bureau either. So this is telling us if, you, if you're watching our Rubble page, you can see Operation Fox Hunt, uh, which they give the Chinese characters for and they spelled out in the phonetic. Uh, it's a Chinese covert global operation whose purported aim is anti-corruption under the Chinese Communist Party. It's under uh, Xi Jinping's administration, and it has led to the arrest of over 40 of the 100 most wanted, uh, the Chinese most wanted global list. The program has been accused of targeting Chinese dissidents living abroad to stop their activism under the guise of returning corrupt Chinese nationals to China to face criminal charges. I'm going to talk about the history that they have listed up there and kind of a little bit more of it, but under no, there should be no illusions about what we're talking about here. This is not an anti-corruption movement. This is a repatriation project to stop dissidents globally. And they are willing to use all the things that are in the book that they would do at home. So we'll talk about what some of those tools are, but under no uncertain terms, should you be looking at this and saying, oh, well, possibly it's, it's for stopping uh, corruption. That is not what's happening here. They are 100% grabbing dissidents and I've talked to dissidents that are involved in it. I've listened to phone calls and translations of these things. Um, none of these actually turn out to be FBI investigations. It's kind of like, we know about it, but what the heck are we going to do? Because there's no appetite to confront it. That's actually very troubling. Uh, under history, it says Operation Fox Hunt was launched in June of 2014. I don't know if that's confirmed by any particular sources. The citation here is probably suspect, uh, but it's at least something that, that the, the Bureau has known about since 2014. Uh, during the course of the six months, during... 2015, they repatriated 680 people to China. This is a claim coming from one of their footnotes here. 680 renditions is an awful lot of people. You know, you, you hear 40 of the 100 most wanted globally on the first part, and you think, well, that's not so many people. 680 in the first six months. They're, they're black bagging 100 people a month, uh, and slightly more than that even. Pretty, pretty intense. Uh, 2015, Operation Fox Hunt scored its first big success in Europe with arrest and extradition of a woman with the surname uh, Zhang from Italy. And this was the first time that a European country had seen an extradition to China 
on accused financial crimes. Okay, fine. So we're talking about something that's that's Wikipedia's take on it. Let's hear what FBI director, the current FBI director, because this was obviously going on during James Comey's tenure and then during uh, McCabe's when he was the uh, the acting director for a short period of time. And then we moved on, Chris Ray, 2020. So he's three years into his time as an FBI director, halfway into what he is in right now. And these were his remarks in October. There's a press release here. There's an NBC story. I'm going to quote them both. I'm going to kind of show you what's going on. But we're stepping back three years in time. Uh, This is essentially six years after this program is launched. And what is the FBI doing about it? Let's see what the the actual words are from the guy who theoretically would be uh, responsible for discussing it. So it says FBI Director Ray puts remarks at a press conference. This is uh, from the FBI.gov news. This is from their news page. You can go to their press releases. Um, publicly available, and it's going to quote his actual remarks as delivered. So it says, uh, blah, 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 good morning, China, ongoing uh, widespread lawless behavior and our refusal to tolerate it. There's a refusal to tolerate it. The FBI will not tolerate it, and neither will this director. Simply put, it's outrageous that China thinks it can come to our shores, conduct illegal operations, and bend people here in the United States to their will. How outrageous is it? It's so outrageous that he's not going to stop it. <laughs> and they're going to slowly build these cases. Now, one of the interesting things about it is, is that uh, once people get on U.S. soil, they're known as USPERS. And if once they're given a, uh, a visa, whether it be a tourist visa or a student visa or a work visa, they have certain rights and privileges that they wouldn't have if they were outside this country that they're able to exercise once they're here. And so they have to actually have due process applied to them and so on. What's also interesting is, is that I'm going to read you an article very shortly from ProPublica that tells us these guys are not hiding the ball when they come here. In fact, they are coming in in true name and they are coming in with their true occupation listed. And that doesn't stop Department of State. It doesn't stop CBP, the Customs and Border Protections Agency. It doesn't stop the Border Patrol agents from being able to refuse them access to this place. Very interesting stuff. All right. So what did Chris Ray say? He said... In one case, a victim reported uh, Chinese harassment to the FBI. We get re- we began a multi-year investigation. I'm going to just pause again. A multi-year investigation to someone who is being harassed by essentially our largest geopolitical foe. Why do we need multi-year investigations? That's what we do. That's what the FBI does. That's what America does to our foes. And that's why they don't take us very seriously. Because when somebody reports this ongoing sort of harassment happening right now, There's a multi-year investigation. They're going to bring the perpetrators to justice. They're going to vindicate the rule of law. These are all tough talk. And of course, the Chinese just run right through it. They don't care. The FBI is proud. We know that. Uh, It's going to be investigating, culminating in criminal charges, the first of their kind. So in October of 2020, the first criminal charges in Operation Fox Hunt were brought. That's at least six years after this thing began. That should be very troubling to most people because what happened in between then? How many things got away from them? They had 700 people nearly arrested in the first six months and extradited back to China. And the tactics that are on the board are coercion, extortion, and then straight up grabbing and kidnapping people because once they leave American soil, if they throw them into a private jet and fly, you know, fly them out of this country, then that's where they go. And then they're outside the United States reach. Even if they came over here in order to politically defect, there's actually a, a definition 
of the word political asylum. We've been using it so frequently in this country for people who say that there's danger back home. The danger is actually supposed to come from the government. It's not supposed to come from an abusive spouse or a drug cartel or people in your hometown that will beat you up or, or abuse you or something like that. You know, all those things are terrible. There's no question about it. But political asylum used to have a real serious definition that's been just trampled upon by our current administration and the ones before it. This obviously went under um, Obama's administration as well. They just softened this thing up. People who grew up in the 80s and the 90s will remember, and this obviously happened before that as well, that uh, you know they would have pilots who would defect from the USSR. They would come and land at an American airbase. They would request asylum over the radio, put the thing down, and basically surrender and throw themselves at the mercy of the United States. And most of the time, that that was considered an asylum claim. They were defectors. That was a name. They defected from their their ideology, from their country, from whatever their, you know, they were essentially in a treasonous state. And yet we protected them because if they went back to their home country, they were done for. Uh, this is sort of the situation for these people that are being hunted by Operation Fox Hunt. They would be done for, and some of them probably are. Um, this uh, director Ray statement goes on and says the message is particularly important because there's a sad fact. This is hardly an isolated incident. As we just said, China's tactics have been appalling. Uh, there was a assistant attorney general who described it, said it's a sweeping bid by uh, general secretary Xi and the Chinese communist party to target Chinese nationals, not just Chinese nationals, but also ethnically Chinese people, people that grew up here um, in the United States, assuming that they were part of the problem. Right. And, and the reason they would do that is to put the squeeze on people that are on the run. Um, so it says in another case like this, uh, when when they couldn't locate a fox hunt target, the Chinese government sent an emissary to the victim's family here in the United States. And what was the message passed on? And here's where it really gets really nasty. I think the message was as follows. The target had two options, return to China promptly or commit suicide. And what happens when the fox hunt targets refuse to do what the, uh, the Chinese say? Then the Chinese Communist Party will send representatives to the family members that are in China and we'll send them to the family members in the United States, and they'll put the squeeze on them. Um, you know, Chris Ray says a bunch of tough talk. It's essentially nothing. Uh, this is the uh, picture from the press conference here. We'll kind of switch over to this. So this is uh, NBC's coverage of this particular statement. Uh, this he talks about how there was a note left on the door. It says, if you're willing to go back to the mainland and spend 10 years in prison, then your wife and your children will be all right. These are not, these are not um, hidden threats. They're very overt about it. They have no problem doing so. Um, this is kind of interesting. The uh, they, they talk about how there's five people that were arrested in three different states. So this is now coming into 2020 again. This is the actual um, this is the actual arrest operation that Ray was talking about in October of 28. And they were talking about the harass, stalk, and coerce nature of this this political distance. And so they had three other people that were indicted from China. Um, they're naming it here and so on. So that's kind of interesting, but it, it's an ongoing harassment campaign. And it's not just, it's not just people who were political distance that, you know, maybe have an opportunity to straighten things out. It's not something that, um, sometimes it's just an ethnic issue. So one of the people that I dealt with in, uh, in Washington field office was a, a Uyghur family. And, uh, the gentleman was a, a doctor. He had defected from, from, uh, China. And we didn't open a case over this. So this is not an ongoing FBI case. This is a guy I met that we couldn't do anything about. I brought it up and, and the answer was, you know, you can be the point of contact for all the Uyghurs when they come in because they all complain and there's not really anything we can do. Uh, but he had people calling from China 
stating and and he had you know absconded with his wife and his uh his two daughters who were very young they were you know toddlers and, and barely speaking kind of age um the oldest might have been three or four so speaking a little bit but not to me and you know this guy was a uh, uh, highly educated by his trade he had a position in the in the provincial government where he was from and then came over here and was driving an Uber. And I'm being very vague about this because I don't need to get this guy in any more hot water than necessary. So I'm going to just kind of touch on the high points of this thing. Um, he and his wife sat there. They had very limited English skills. It was kind of a difficult conversation. Brought another agent with me and the two of us were listening to this. And he played us a couple of recordings that were from one, members of his family who had been threatened. And they said, you know, this is who came by and it was this person. And then people who had actually called from China saying you better return because your family's not going to survive here in China. You know, this is the kind of stuff that we're tolerating with nothing more than tough talk. I think that's a real problem. I think that's something that uh, we can't really abide by, but instead it's still going. In fact, something happened just within the last two days, um, more arrests, but it's very, very limited. I want to bring up this thing from the global times.cn. This is obviously a Chinese um, affiliated piece of propaganda. It's a Skynet campaign launch to intensify efforts on corruption. So this is how the Chinese framed it in 2021, just after, this is two, three months after the press conference given by Chris Ray. And this is the English language version of this, saying China's Skynet 2021 campaign officially launched on Wednesday, vowing to intensify efforts to, corrupt, to track down on corrupt fugitives from the state-owned enterprises and in the financial, political, legal, and livelihood sectors and recover their illegal gains. So you can see the framing of it is, it sounds nice. It sounds like something you would not necessarily hate, even though it's just a witch hunt running after political dissonance. It says deployed by the anti-corruption coordination group since April, 2015. So they're actually claiming a different start date. China's Skynet campaign is an important operation that involves tracking down fugitives suspected of involvement in graft, preventing corrupt officials from fleeing abroad and recovering illegal gains. And this particular campaign is going to focus on corrupt fugitives from state-owned enterprises, blah, blah, blah. They're just saying the same. They literally repeated the same paragraphs over and over. Uh, highlights are going to be cast on cases involving officials at county division levels and uh, those who fled in recent years, cases involving large amounts of money, which have gained strong public reactions. So this is the kind of the take that the Chinese are having. And and do these people abscond with money? Of course, that's what they do, whether it's in cash or whether they move, you know, a, uh, a bank account or they move some sort of financial instruments so they are not destitute when they get to the United States. Of course, people do that. It's exactly what you do think. It's the cut and run strategy that happened, you know, during the Iron Curtain years. People would take whatever it was they had, whatever they had of value. They'd put it in a suitcase. They would move it into a, you know, an instrument that they could negotiate in uh, freer Western societies, and then they would leave. Sometimes they would lose their lives en route. So this is a pretty common way to abscond from, to um, escape from aggressive and tyrannical governments, authoritarian type regimes. What's interesting is, is that we're tolerating a recapture program on American soil. This just cannot be, it cannot be overestimated how wrong it is to allow this sort of thing without aggressive things. This could be a big national push that all of these these individuals would be run down and uh, and detained and then held on to for you know for further information, but instead they're really hindered because it should actually happen in the vetting process. Uh, some of you will remember we had Aaron Stevenson on our show talking about DHS vetting and the background checks that are going on for people that are requesting these types of visas. Like there are countries that should have a lot more scrutiny. 
and particularly people who list the following. I'm going to um, jump over into this ProPublica article because I think it actually illustrates my point. Uh, they've got a great graphic here too. They do uh, some some decent looking uh, pieces here. This says Operation Fox Hunt, how China exports repression using a network of spies hidden in plain sight. And the byline here is uh, Sebastian Rotella and Christian Borg. Again, this is from July of 2021. The reason I'm bringing these up historically is because we're going back. First, we go back and talk about its inception. We talk about even for the last three years or so, it's been known to people. It's been known far outside of the intelligence community or federal law enforcement, and then there's still nothing going on about it. Um, I'm just going to read some of this kind of stuff here. He talks about a, an individual who came in on a reconnaissance mission. He was a cop from Wuhan, uh, rolled into New Jersey. He says that he was watching in the suburban landscape. This is written very narrative form. It says he was in his early 40s, about six foot one, smooth and confident looking. His cases had led from Fiji to France to Mexico, making headlines back home. The work was riskier here. In fact, it was illegal, but he knew the turf. He identified himself as a Chinese police officer on his tourist visa and the Americans hadn't given him any trouble. Sometimes it was best to hide in plain sight. That should be a problem for all of us. If you were, a, if you were a, an FBI agent or even a, a local police officer and identified that in China on a, uh, on a tourist visa, you can assume that you would have had significant and additional scrutinies. There's no reason to think otherwise. We were told basically you know, that, that was an off-limits game for, for people who were in the federal service uh, particularly after the Chinese hacked the uh, Office of uh, Personnel Management, the OPM databases, and had access to all of our names and our date of births and so on, and our employment history and who we did and what we, you know, who we worked for and all that. So the the training that I received is that if I ever chose to go to China, I would be immediately assumed to be an intelligence officer by virtue of my employer, whether I worked on intelligence or not, whether I was going there for pleasure or for you know for business or for education or anything else. That would be the assumption and. That's the way they operate. And then I, they could they basically let you know that you'd be targeted for recruitment. In this case, we have this guy who's who's gone around and then he's picked up a uh, kind of a team. I'm going to scroll to where they talk about it. He said he locked onto his new target uh, who, mobil who mobilized his team. It had grown to at least 19 American and Chinese operatives. They included hired muscle, private detectives, including a former New York Police Department sergeant and an undercover... <laughs> repatriation specialist. That's a new one on me, but I guess that's what the people who do what we would call renditions where they actually snatch and grab somebody who slipped in and out of U.S. airports with ease. Well, how do they do that? Private airplanes is the most likely thing to do. That's the easiest way to do renditions. And uh, and that's the things that we were hearing about, the threats and, and sort of the, the concerns is, is that you wouldn't be able to measure if somebody was gone, particularly if that person was here on some sort of temporary status. Um, if they're gone, their visa runs out. They're no longer in the U.S. They never clock out, but they never, you know, they clocked in and then we don't go hunting them. We don't go figuring out who's there. Uh, the team did stakeouts while in the unsuspecting neighborhood. They uh, employed aliases and cover stories to relay money and intelligence and threats. And when the stage was set, they brought their target. Uh, they brought their target's frail and elderly father from China. Okay. They brought bait in to New Jersey as human bait. And it's a high stakes gambit known as an emotional bomb. In this case, uh, this was a problem. Uh, they hit the headlines because federal prosecutors in New York charged him and seven others with conspiracy to act as illegal agents for China. Six of them, including the former NYPD detective, were also charged with conspiracy to engage in interstate stalking. So there are federal statutes that can be used, clearly, 
Um, it's one of those things that the appetite has to exist. The bandwidth has to be there. The pressure has to be available. And instead we're doing January 6th and we are running down misdemeanors and we are using the Washington field office, which could be a very capable counterintelligence unit, uh, looking all these things up and sharing this information and cutting leads all over the country. But instead they're sharing MAGA grandmas. And that's what the, uh, the opportunity cost is of the J six cases. There's a bunch of opportunity costs. I was asked today, actually, what is the purpose of, uh, you know, what we're doing? Why does the FBI exist at all? Is there any reason for it? It's like, well, there could be, of course there could be. There's no question about that. There's, there's as many cases as there are hours in the day. And there's more work, even in just child sex trafficking and, uh, you know, in the innocent image projects, which is a combating child pornography, there's more work there than you would have agents to handle in the entire FBI. If everybody worked those cases, if that's what they wanted to do, there's no, there's no question in my mind that they could spend all their time doing that. And white collar fraud could occupy the entirety of the bureau. There are, there are offices that turn away fraud cases that are less than several million dollars. Some of them are seven figure requirement. It has to be a seven figure fraud case. Some are higher than that in certain areas, places like New York. I've heard at certain times that they would take fraud cases only $5 million and above. And that may have changed. That may be an exaggeration by that agent, but the, the likelihood that you would get turned down if you brought a 75,000 or a hundred thousand dollar fraud case to them is, is almost a hundred percent in any big field office in anywhere where they had the ability. Cause you've got maybe a dozen people that are working white collar fraud tops. It's probably more like six. And so if you have five, six, seven, eight people that are working on white collar frauds that are complex, long-term investigations that go multiple years, they're not going to take these small things. They're not going to take small numbers like that. Small numbers being a six figure thing, even though it would devastate a human being to lose that kind of money for most people in America. Um, it's too small for the FBI, but it's not too small for the FBI to run down people who walked around parading illegally or, or, you know, saw somebody else, uh, knock open some doors and then go marching around and staying inside the velvet ropes of the U S Capitol. It's a big deal. That's what the opportunity cost looks like. We're going to, um, pivot over to this NBC story again. I don't know why I have two NBC stories, but it turns out this is the, uh, the same situation from the ProPublica. It's just another, another coverage of it. I want to show you that there is in fact, like a fair number of people. This was, so the ProPublica was July of, of 21. And, uh, and this is another seven more Chinese nationals charged an alleged plot to repatriate us resident. Okay. And the uh, Eastern district of New York, which is no friend to, uh, to most people who, who live in that area. Uh, and clearly was the same people that were, uh, going after a number of uh, questionable cases like the, the Douglas Mackey case came out of that district, for example, it says, uh, the United States will firmly counter such outrageous violations of national sovereignty. This is a lot of tough talk again, but no actual work being done. So this is another seven. The previous one I think was five plus three overseas. So that was another eight. Um, we're talking about dozens and dozens of these people and maybe more. So this one is by uh, Leila uh, Sacker. I'm not familiar with her last name. Hopefully I didn't butcher it too much, but it says federal authorities have charged seven Chinese nationals over an alleged long running harassment campaign to try and intimidate a U.S. resident to return to China. That's what they do. Uh, the eight count indictment was handed down U.S. court, Brooklyn, New York, part of Operation Fox Hunt, described by the FBI as an illegal global effort by the Chinese to locate and repatriate alleged fugitives who have fled to foreign countries. 
And so we'll quote the, uh, the, the U.S. attorney here. As, as alleged, the defendants engaged in unilateral and uncoordinated law enforcement action on U.S. soil on behalf of the government of the People's Republic of China in an effort to cause a forced repatriation of a U.S. resident back to China. It's a big deal. This was a business person. This was somebody who was operating a business in Queens, was a shareholder in a hotel, it says, uh, you know, based as a U.S. liaison. And then uh, obviously they will always go after family members, sons, and so on. There's the man security footage and um this is the uh, the individuals who are actually threatening so they'll show up and they'll just speak to them let them know you know it'd be a real shame if something happened to your family back in china it'd be a real shame if something happened to your business it'd be a shame if something happened to you you should come with us we're gonna you know bring you back and they'll come to local law enforcement they'll come to the feds and and then what's gonna happen maybe nothing maybe nothing at all i'm gonna bring up another one this is the uh this is a, a little bit earlier on. This is a totally different case, but it's just another Chinese national charge with this. This is a DOJ press release. I'm just trying to give you a sense of the volume of how much is going on here. So uh, this is happening in uh, which district? This is also, this is the Southern District of New York. So a different United States attorney, Matthew Olson, is doing this one. And you've got Chinese national charge with acting as an unregistered agent of the Chinese government in the United States. So once again, that's the... Uh, that's the charge in this case. And then if there's coercion or threats of violence or interstate stalking or any of the other kind of things, they can add these tacked on charges. That's why there were eight counts in the previous indictment. So you've got Damian Williams. Uh, he's the uh, United States attorney. And then you've got the assistant uh, attorney general for national security. Sorry, that's Matthew Olson. And then Michael Driscoll are all sort of saying this. That's the, uh, the assistant director in charge of New York. That's the ADIC. And they're announcing this complaint on this uh, gentleman here whose last name is Sun. Um, a, a citizen of the PRC acting and conspiring to act in the United States as an unregistered agent um, of the PRC, <laughs> but they didn't get him. He's at large in China, not going to be extradited. It just says, again, here's another statement about it. The PRC government, the People's Republic of China, launched a campaign dubbed Operation Fox Hunt, a global plot to repress dissidents and forcibly repatriate so-called fugitive, including citizens living legally in the United States through the use of unsanctioned, unilateral, and illegal practices. We allege that Mr. Sun, uh, as part of this campaign, attempted to threaten and coerce a victim into bending to the PRC's will, even using a co-conspirator who is a member of local law enforcement to reinforce that the victim had no choice but to comply with the demands of the PRC. Today's charges reflect the offices continue. That's the uh, office of the attorney general um, to continue working hand in hand with the FBI and combat transnational repression to bring justice to those who perpetrate it. I'm going to contrast this again with the sort of press conference, the sort of dog and pony show that's going on about Ukraine. You got Lisa Monaco out there talking about how they're going to preserve the dignity and uh, help the war effort by going after the dirty Russians who are engaging in this horrible act of aggression and so on. And all those things may be the case, but what in the world does the DOJ have to do with it? When in fact, we have people who are legally living within the borders of the United States. They are legally permitted to be here. They've come in and they've either sought sanctuary or they have started businesses. They have fled an oppressive regime. This used to be the thing that people did to the United States. We used to love it. This has been in my lifetime that this is a thing that they are no longer protected from. And they are allowing these assets of the, the Chinese Communist Party to come in and extract them forcibly against their will. We got another one. This one just happened on the 17th. This just happened on Monday. Okay. 
I didn't hear any press coverage of it. It was, if it was, it was very light. This is another DOJ press announcement for Monday, April 17th, 2023. When I was talking to, uh, when I was talking to Amy Nelson, this is what they were saying Two arrested for illegal, uh, operating illegal overseas police station. And there's that word police station. Um, if this doesn't sound to you like a police operation, it's because it's not, it's an intelligence operation. This is something that you'd expect the CIA to be doing overseas, you know, doing the black bag grab stuff. This is the stuff of movies and yet it's happening on American soil. It says the complaint was unsealed today in federal court in Brooklyn. Again, this is going to be Southern district of New York, um, charged with charging two defendants in connection with opening and operating an illegal overseas police station located in lower Manhattan. This is right in the middle of one of the biggest cities in the country right in the middle, right underneath the nose of the United States government. I would say that when it comes to government buildings and government involvement, your two biggest spaces are going to be Washington, D.C. and New York. And if you're from New York, you think New York's more important. I don't know if it is or not, but I know that the people that work for the Bureau in New York think that it's the biggest thing running. And, you know, there's an argument to be made there. So it says they're doing a provincial uh, provincial branch of the Ministry of Public Security, or MPS, from the People's Republic of China, it names these two individuals. This guy goes by Harry. Uh, I will not even play with that last name. Despite working Chinese counterintelligence for two years, my ability to pronounce Chinese names is awful. And it's certainly gotten worse since I've gotten away from it. Uh, as a 61-year-old from the Bronx and a uh, another one whose name was uh, Shen Jinping, I think, and that he's 59, so he was in Manhattan. Uh, they were arrested early this morning in their homes, and their initial appearance was scheduled this afternoon. This was as of Monday, obviously. The, in the complaint... The allegations are that they were charged with conspiring to act as agents of the PRC. So once again, acting as unregistered, unauthorized agents of a foreign nation, as well as obstructing justice by destroying evidence of their communications with the MPS official. This is the Ministry of Public Security that was actually running the operation and getting them uh, you know, what they needed to get going. The police station, which will close, uh, which was closed in the fall of 2022 after it began operating and the FBI was aware of it, occupied a floor in an office building in Manhattan's Chinatown. And while acting under the direction and control of this MPS official, these two gentlemen helped open and operate this clandestine police station. None of the participants in the scheme informed the United States government that they were helping the Chinese government. They didn't tell them that they were surreptitiously opening and operating an illegal MPS police station on U.S. soil. The audacity to be able to get into something like this. It's pretty significant. It's pretty wild. And it seems like if you had... <laughs> there's no comparison. If the United States opened a police station on foreign soil outside of our embassies, you know, that's a, that's a very aggressive act on every level. This is outside of statecraft. This is not a thing that you can get away with doing. You know, it's it's probably bad enough for a lot of people that we have military bases that we have signed agreements with and have set up in other places. To imagine just going out and seizing a, an office building and then opening up, you know, a, a, a section of the FBI that was not answerable to anybody and didn't tell the local authorities that they were there and just began doing FBI investigations or otherwise. Like, it's insane. It's truly insane, and it's a very, very aggressive posture, and the Chinese continue to watch this. So you've seen things like probing with the with the spy balloon. That thing has floated over. They said now as many as four of those suckers went over us, okay? So they saw no reaction to that. They were allowed to photograph and send back whatever signals intelligence it was able to gather. You've got these ongoing things. This is happening now. We're looking at almost, what, close to 10 years of opening so-called police stations, but really intelligence gathering and, and, and human gathering 
locations in the United States. What's the reaction? Tough words, a couple of arrests. Like we just accounted all the press releases that I could find on it. It's under 20. And we already know that they grabbed 700 people worldwide in six months. So how many did they grab from the United States that we have no idea about? And knowing that people have reported these cases to the FBI and then nothing gets done from a, from a very personal level when I saw it, it's like, well, I kind of gave them the, the kind of the safety mechanisms and told them that, you know, the people that are in China are probably on their own and there's nothing they can do about it. If they go back, they're going to face the music and probably die. It sounds like based on what they told me, they said they would die. So I believe them. And then the alternative is, is, you know, they don't. And then some family member dies, that family members, you know, you can't do anything about it. They're already here. So, you know, without any support from the United States government, and there hasn't been any reason to go and do that. And they haven't seemed like they're willing to do so. It's, uh, it's pretty troubling. It's troubling on a lot of levels. It's something that people always ask, what can I do? What can I talk to my representative about? If this hits home for you, then that's what you should be talking about, you know, tougher actions. And they need to probably explicitly draft some legislation, or they need to be pushing for policies coming out of the uh, Department of Homeland Security that can eliminate the influx of these types. doesn't mean they won't be walking across our southern border right now, but as, as it stands, you know, we're, we're kind of bending over for China, and we're allowing all of those aggressions to stand. It's just like, well, we're going to talk pretty tough about this. And then they do something else, and you go like, well, you shouldn't have done that, but if you did, we were going to come get you. Uh, all these things, very, very troubling for those of us who are paying attention to it. Um, I do want to pivot to this, uh, to this young airman, as I promised, I would give kind of a take on it. I've been on a couple of different shows discussing it. I have a background obviously in, in national security. I have a background in criminal law enforcement working for the FBI, but, um, I also started off in the air force when I was 27 and as a 27 year old who worked around, let's say 17 year olds and 18 year olds and 19 year olds who were in the position, uh, of this guy. And my understanding is his name is, uh, it's Jack Teixeira. I'm hopefully pronouncing that correctly because I've heard it done a couple different ways, as we'll hear right here on this uh, this uh, WBZ News. They actually have the video of of the of the arrest, which I did want to show. But uh, essentially, you know, this kid is in a bad spot, and I want to give some kind of reflection on it. Let's just see him taken into custody right now. So we'll, we're going to switch over here. You you probably have already seen this, but if you're not watching, this is what happened. This is uh, CBS News Boston, and uh, we'll just play it real quick. Following this case, Cheryl, what have you learned about the investigation? Well, you know, Lisa, what we do know is that federal agents have been piecing together evidence that led up to today's arrest. Now at Sky Eye, you can see heavily armed agents surrounding the home in Dighton early this afternoon. The tense, dramatic moments you're there, you can see Jack Texiera walking backwards with this. She calls him Jack Texiera, and then later she calls him Jack, Jack Teixeira. So what you're seeing right there on the screen, if you're watching with us on Rumble, there's an FBI Bearcat that's uh, set up. You've got uh, four agents that are awfully close to each other with one of them holding a gun on a guy who is wearing, you know, essentially like some gym shorts and a t-shirt. And uh, so they're calling him back. This is all pretty standard stuff. You would expect that to happen. It's a really nice neighborhood that he's hanging out in. I guess it's mom and dad's house. Um, you've got guys that are all, you know, a couple guys up on rifle. This is obviously overkill for what this kid is. I, I don't know if it was because they were trying to make a message or, you know, show this is how we're going to come after you, but you got suburbans on the lawn and, you know, this whole dismounted operation. And it's in broad daylight too, which is a little bit unusual. I don't know if this was done early in the morning and uh, it just happened to be sunny there, but it's not sunny where I am at 6 a.m. And that's generally speaking when they serve these types of warrants. So maybe they wanted plenty of light. Maybe they wanted plenty of camera 
to be able to get this thing uh, captured in the thing in the way that it is a very dramatic sort of bringing into custody for somebody who if you saw the other footage he was sort of like sitting and reading a book and drinking a cup of coffee before he got arrested so kind of anticlimactic there for uh, for this sort of assault team but here we go uh, we'll show him get into custody hands behind his head through a narrow path where he's handcuffed and later taken into custody. Now, meantime, I-team sources say agents are executing a search warrant in the home, looking for more evidence, anything from computers, cell phones, flash drives, tablets, and physical documents. Now, all that search warrant will allow them to do is be able to see everything in those devices. All right, and then this lady goes on with her hot take about how search warrants work, which is a little bit much for me. Uh, what's interesting is, is yes, of course they would be able to grab all the, the electronics that's standard for almost all search warrants because everybody keeps everything on their phones these days. What she also says is that they'd be able to access all the emails and all this other stuff. Maybe, maybe not. If they are encrypted, if they are not hosted on the di the document itself, they actually have to go get another search warrant. So this is yet another plea on my end for you to use end to end encrypted apps. And they should have self-deleting text messages. The reason why is because even if you are not talking about something like this kid getting into yourself in trouble by releasing national security secrets, there really is no reason for you to have access to long-term uh, databases of your own text messages. It's not helping you any, and all it's going to do is it's going to paint a picture. Your data in motion should be encrypted, and then it shouldn't live on your phone very long. There's no real reason for it. All you're going to be doing is giving access to somebody whoever decides to access your device and if that's law enforcement for some you know reason that is not necessarily as reputable as we would hope then you're worse off than you would have been now i'm sure a lot of people wish that they had some of this stuff happening and that's not you tampering with evidence if your general rule is mine is a week so things automatically delete on my phone after a week if they're text messages if they're back and forth communications with friends it's just a general uh, habit of tidying up my information and leaving a smaller signature in the world. And uh, there are some people that are a little bit more cagey that do, you know, uh, every day. I have one or two contacts that like to delete them every five minutes. That's actually really difficult to figure out what we're talking about half the time. Uh, but I don't begrudge them that. And because of the kind of profile that they have in the world, that's acceptable to me. So, you know, you assume the amount of risk that makes sense for you, but you should be deleting your messages and you should make sure that they are encrypted when they travel, whether it be if you're doing you know, overt emails and you're doing them to other public spaces, so be it. But if you're doing personal communications, there's no reason for you to expose that stuff. It just doesn't help you. Uh, I will continue to advocate on behalf of that for you. And what I want to get at with this, uh, with this Jack to share thing, a couple of things. Number one, if you've never spent any time around enlisted airmen or enlisted young men to begin with, and I'm going to leave women out of this because my experience with enlisted women was very, very minimal. Young men between the ages of 17 and 21 are almost universally morons, even the ones that are really bright. They're kind of morons. And uh, I say that as a former moron, or at least a former complete moron, uh, this is just the nature of the beast. This is who joins the military and God love them for it because they do things that nobody else will do. They take orders and, and get things done. It's absolutely necessary for the security of our country to have these guys they're my people i i you know i would affectionately call them window lickers or crayon eaters and all my marines know who those are you know i watched my two-year-old the other day who was licking a window and i told my wife oh god we've got a marine on our hands he was just sitting there just licking on the window uh probably because it felt great i don't know on his tongue this is just like a simple thing i've seen guys that are 18 and 20 years old doing the same thing on a bus while they were just hanging out because they were bored it's it's really funny how childish you can see an 18 to 20 something year old who will go on to be a complete war hero. 
Uh, there's a great story I think that we actually told on the podcast about one of the guys I worked with who was 21. His He was the most unseemly looking human being. I'm not going to say his name because he's grown into quite the man, I'm sure. Uh, but, you know, head seemed disproportionate to his body. He still had this sort of like skinny body, you know, prepubescent sort of thing, although he, I'm sure he had been through some degree of puberty. But he hadn't hit on his, you know, his man meat hadn't, you know, developed yet. He hadn't really put any muscle, musculature on his skeleton. Uh, that guy ended up pulling like a handful of army privates out of a burning Humvee and saved their lives and dropped, uh, you know, warheads on enemy combatants nearby with a danger close call and was given a bronze star with valor because he's a stud. And he always was going to be a stud. He was always a really good kid. He was just one of those guys that did stupid things like buy Ford Mustangs and, and uh, you know, motorcycles that he had no business getting on. And thank God that didn't end up taking his life because that's, that's what happens. These guys do dumb things like, you know, get into fights over girls at bars and have some local gangbanger throw a rock at the hood of their Jeep. I'm not talking about anything specific, but that may or may not have happened under my watch. Uh, you know, come to you and ask you whether or not it's a good idea to buy this this used car a blue, you know, Camaro or Ford Mustang at 18% interest rate when it's a used car. It's like, no. So these are some of the dumb decisions that I've personally seen a 21 year old, a 19 to, you know, 24 year old, uh, A1C in the air force make. And this guy, you know, he was one of those. So was he out there trying to, uh, you know, release the, the Kraken and, and share all this deep state information that he wanted to expose the Ukrainian war? No, it doesn't sound like that. Based on all the evidence that I see out there, he was probably a moron who's trying to impress his buddies. Unfortunately, one of his buddies actually had a bigger platform than he knew because he was doing it on a Discord uh, server, you know, for, for playing video games and, and sharing that kind of stuff with his buddies. Very, very dumb. What's also interesting is the media attack on the kid. They're fascinated with the search warrant. They're fascinated that they grabbed this guy. Where was the talk about the information that he revealed? Because I haven't seen a lot of it. It's been very, very uh, scarcely covered. And the people that have covered it have gotten into big hot water. So it used to be in this country that journalists wanted to hold the, the powerful to account. And right now what we're seeing is that they are carrying water for these elitist type organizations. And I'm not saying that if you're a member of the, the United States military and there was a whole story about this Donbass girl uh, who was you know, one of the 15 different admins on a, on a Telegram page, but you shouldn't be sharing information that's classified or otherwise if it is restricted. If you still are holding an active security clearance, you have signed some agreements. I'm not going to touch any of this stuff. I don't even want to read the information this kid let out because it's not been declassified and I don't need that kind of hot water in my life. But if you're a journalist... And that's what you do for a living, and you don't have the complication of being a recovering FBI agent, then you should be reading this stuff and disseminating what makes sense because you're, it's a glimpse behind the curtain that you don't normally get. They used to love this. This is the theory of, you know, of old school journalism. It was a very blue collar profession. It was the one way that your blue collar, everyday, you know, non-college educated, but capable of writing kind of man or woman could go out there and, and strike a real deep blow at the elitist kind of old boys network of people who had money, access, and power. It doesn't just seem like that's what we're, we're raising anymore. We have journalists that are sycophants to the, to the state. We've got John Kirby advising people not to report on this and then people dutifully doing so. That's insane. I would say that they are skylighting this thing in a way that more people should be covering it. And instead what they're doing is they're actually doing what they're told. And I'm not even sure that the government wants them to, to, uh, to cover this stuff up and hide it. There's a real chance that this sort of Streisand effect, which is, uh, you know, when somebody complains about something and says, don't do this, then it makes it, you know, the forbidden fruit. And therefore it's much more 
it's much more interesting. There's a real chance that that's what we're actually seeing the the U.S. government trying to play at. Like maybe they're trying to seed this information into the Russians. I have no idea, but this is why I kind of think that. There was a reporting done yesterday. This is on CNN's politics. I'll switch it over here real quick. Um, it says top British defense official casts doubt on the veracity of leaked Pentagon documents and says the UK hasn't skipped a beat on intel gathering. This is uh, being reported by Alex Marquette and our Mark Marquette and uh, Jim. Uh, who is it? No, I can't read anything. Um, so this was done in the morning. But who's this guy? This guy's named Igor something or other. I don't know. Is he really a British guy? Simanowitz? Simanowitz? Okay. He looks kind of Britishy. So we're looking at a bald guy who's walking around and apparently is this intelligence official. No, that's not who it was. It was Ben Wallace. I have no idea who this person that they're taking a picture of is. Uh, CNN. So yeah, anyway, it says top uh, British defense official has cast doubt on the veracity of the impact of the American leaked documents going further than U.S. officials in questioning the contents of the hundreds of pages of classified intelligence. Now, I've seen very little reporting of people who have actually read the so-called hundreds of pages of documents. So I don't even know how much they were actually available to anybody. But sure enough, this guy says, this is Ben Wallace. This is the Secretary for uh, Secretary of State for Defense telling journalists in Washington, D.C., I know for a fact, having read what I've seen in the open sources, that some of these assertions, or assertions rather, are, are untrue. Uh, he said that the British intelligence has not skipped a beat when it comes to gathering their information. He said, I have seen uh, that... Uh, in this league, there are a number of inaccuracies, significant inaccuracies, or manipulation of information. My advice is don't take it at face value. There are definitely things in there that I've seen that I know to be untrue. So that's really interesting stuff to me because it was my immediate instinct. One of the things that you can do when you're running a counterintelligence operation is you can approve a potential double agent, what's called passage material. And passage material is legitimately real classified information. It's usually of no value or no longer of value. It's usually out of date type stuff. Um, sometimes it can be very quickly out of date. It's a, a report from this week, but last week something changed, or it's a report from three weeks ago and something in the last couple of days has changed. We can, re we can actually release this to a foreign nation, but we don't do it by giving to them, you know, sort of in a, a fun way. Say, oh, it's just yours. What we do is we let them uncover it and pay for it through, you know, double agent operations, things like this. So there's always the scare. It's like, well, is the person who's getting this information, is it legit? Do they actually uncover it? Because that happens too. There are people who sell out our government. No question about it. Sometimes they do it with permission. Sometimes they don't. Um, so, you know, was this something that was part of an operation? It's just a, it's a reasonable question to ask. Coming from the position of a skeptic and knowing that this guy was a 21-year-old National Guardsman, this wasn't even his full-time gig in the intelligence wing there, um, it, it makes you wonder is this somebody who was being played? Everyone keeps asking if he's a patsy. Well, what if he was playing a larger game here? Um, we haven't heard much about what it's going to look like for his his uh, arraignment. I don't know if he's going to be under a military tribunal, if that's going to go in through UCMJ, and he's going to be accountable to that, if it's something that they're going to claim is basically on duty, if he's going to get dual prosecuted. It, I'm, I'm interested in all that. The FBI obviously surged the surf warrant, but I have to imagine they were working with um, Air Force Office of Special Investigations, the OSI, as well. So this guy, Wallace, this, uh, this British guy, he also says, we're, we're all vulnerable to whistleblowers, uh, whistleblowers, leakers. I wouldn't wish it were so, but we all are. I don't like people leaking my things or anybody else's things, but fundamentally, this is the price we pay for being a liberal open democracy where, uh, we trust people. Yeah, that's part of it. And part of it is because you trust people who are very, very young 
And uh, sometimes when you trust very, very young people, then you're going to end up with, uh, you know, people that make bad decisions. It's kind of a, a, it's kind of the nature of the beast dealing with A1Cs. But the idea that he would have access to hundreds of pages of physical documents seems very unlikely to me. It's one of those, it's one of those very unusual situations. I don't know how else to, uh, I don't know how else to articulate it. So I think we should just continue to watch this thing. I think we should be aware that it exists, that there's a possibility that there's something else going on here. And we should be looking for the additional clues for that and, and maybe withhold judgment. I think that's one of the things that Bongino likes to always say. I think Dan Bongino always says like, we can wait 48 hours. I think we're going to have to wait a little bit longer on this one to see how it plays out. Uh, but if this guy actually did release human intelligence that was going to reveal troop locations and or the uh, the locations or identities of sources or methods that are involved in collecting intelligence against a foe like the russians then yeah he he's not a hero so don't think of that and i also don't think he's a hero because i think he's probably a bonehead i said this on joe pag's show uh, yesterday but when people do this kind of thing you know there's there's some ideological ways you can go about it when you're an a1c when you're a, a an e3 in the army or if you're in the uh, air force you're in the coast guard you're in the marine corps you're in the navy you don't know that much it doesn't mean that you're not smart it means you don't have access to all that information or the bigger picture it is very rare they don't have you know they might even have tactical operational knowledge but they don't have strategic or operational knowledge beyond that and so their, their ability to really look into this stuff and have a clear idea of what it is they're seeing is very little. And it's not like this guy was exposing war crimes that we were involved in covering up or something like that. It sounds like he was exposing that we were, you know, involved in a conflict that we maybe want to keep quiet. Um, once again, it makes me wonder what's going on with that attorney general meeting. Why are we meeting with prosecutors from other countries when they're supposedly at war? This is the kind of stuff that makes me think that there is more going on here than we know. And, uh, and I hope that we continue to see more about this. I hope that, uh, I'm wrong. And, and, uh, this was a very clear cut version of what happened, but, uh, we will continue the story to, you know, follow the story. And if you're watching our Twitter account, if you're watching my Twitter account and Steve friends and, uh, and George Hill at senior chief EXW, then you'll, uh, you'll see some interesting takes that are probably a little bit outside the mainstream because we only care about what's true. Uh, I have no agenda to push. Otherwise, if this guy's a bad guy, then we should shut him down. Folks, you've been listening to The Kyle Serafin Show. If you like what you heard, please hit that uh, subscribe button. Feel free to leave us a comment on the Rumble video. If you're not watching Rumble, go check it out and you can leave a comment. I respond to almost all of them. And uh, we would appreciate it if you click the link below for a five-star review. That will put us in the Apple rankings, which we were in the top 100 over the last couple days. And we have been uh, just flirting around 100, 130 or so in the country, uh, in the United States. For all political podcasts, uh, by contrast, my buddy Dan Bongino was 58 the same day. So that's pretty impressive stuff for a fledgling like us. We're really flattered, uh, both Phil and I are. So we do appreciate you guys uh, doing the download, sharing it with your friends and so on. Uh, if you do leave us a five-star review, I'll try to read them on the show. This is one that came in on Sunday from Mr. Infinity. It says, Substantive. The Suspendables and Kyle Serafin provide hyper-relevant information that addresses and exposes the ever-growing threat our all too powerful central government has become as it is increasingly manipulated to crush political opponents and to hide the truth and distort reality against the best interests of its citizens. Folks, I hope it is hyper-relevant to you. Thank you, Mr. Infinity, for those kind words. And uh, if you do want to share those things, like I said, you can always find us here on Monday, on Wednesday, and on Friday. We're lining up our next long-form interview. And I got to tell you, we've had a little bit of struggle on the Rumble channel trying to get this video with Amy Nelson up. I actually posted it on YouTube. So if you're not following me on Truth or Twitter, you can do so at 
Kyle Serafin, S-E-R-A-P-H-I-N. You can find it uh, also in the links for each of the show notes. Follow me there and you'll see some of the ongoing news that we're talking about, uh, including stuff that I'll drop only there that is either on uh, either a big podcast or a big uh, video. You'll see me on Fox saying it sometimes, but you'll always see it first on the Twitter account. Uh, Again, folks, thanks so much for your attention. We do really appreciate it. And uh, we hope you have a great middle of this week. Thanks for listening to The Kyle Serafin Show. Be sure to follow him on Twitter and Truth at Kyle Serafin.